we all have that ability to be the light in the darkness, but we have to just know and trust and believe that we are the light, that the light is within us and we can be the light for, and, and what seems to us like not a big deal, it could be someone's actual light to help them out of the darkness. Hey y'all, thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur Podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it. Hey! Oh, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, sorry. I got home late from town. I was at my counseling office getting all my stuff set for the week. So I was like, oh, crap. Well, like I said, you're always a crazy busy lady. So I understand. Good thing sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes, right? (laughs) Other times, not so great. So, I mean, obviously I know you. Do you want to explain how we know each other, I guess, to start? That was just a few short years ago. Not really. What, like eight? Eight years ago? Almost, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Wyoming together. It's the, just a whole little, its own little world and path of its own. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a great experience. I'm glad I did it. And I could say I did it. Um, and I got to meet you and a couple other girls I'm still in touch with, which is super cool. Like we're kind of just this little small, small little group of us. Cause you know, our state's so giant. <laughs> right. We met there and then we just like stayed in touch on Facebook and watched each other's lives and connected every once in a while. And mm-hmm. And it's so fun to do because I feel like all of us in that little group were like, you know, these women that were out, you know, set to do things for ourselves and for the people around us. So it's so cool getting to see that kind of like grow over the years. Yeah. And I, you know, I continued on in um, pure international pageants um, to kind of take my platform of just self-love. Um and I got to compete on the international side, which was really cool. So, I mean, while we were competing in the United States, I still got to represent. Um, so you get to choose your heritage and represent that country if nobody is representing it. So I got to represent Germany, which was super fun. Um, and, you know, just again, another amazing group of women that were all just wanting to build women up and kids up and um, you know just set a really great um, feel for areas that we maybe don't think about or maybe might have been taboo at the time of course now it's not but you know just even that self-love was still kind of not like nobody really wanted to hear about self-love you know like that mm-hmm. was very selfish and self-centered and now the importance of like if you look around and especially in the counseling field we are always about self-care 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 um and I don't think culturally we are like that um especially as women because what do we do we care for everybody else around us and we think of ourselves last and so we we often have this negative feeling or we guilt ourselves or shame ourselves 
we're taking care of ourselves first instead of those around us. Um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of in the mental health field and, and really actually even in the teaching field, we're really focusing on that because burnout is so high in both of those fields. Um, and especially if you're a caregiver, empathy burnout can just happen so fast. And so if you're not caring for yourself, then that's where a lot of other things can happen to those around you, but then especially to yourself. And then it's this big vicious cycle. So, yeah, it really is. I think that's so important that like you were preaching that before it was like, you know, cool to preach that. So I think that's so, so awesome. How do you feel like that has kind of fed into like your career path? Cause you've been so <laughs> down so many different career paths, but I feel like they all kind of have that in common, which is very interesting. Yeah, I started thinking back and I'm really like, God has just given me this gift within the helping profession. So it first started out with, um, I went to college traditionally outside, out of high school to be an elementary teacher. I went to Kansas State and Manhattan Christian College, and I was pursuing a dual degree in Christian education and then elementary education. And then just things happened where like my dad was like, hey, I need you to come home for a semester. And I was like, okay, no problem. Well, then I met my husband, then we got married, right? And we tried to transfer. Life happened. <laughs> I tried to transfer my credits to the University of Northern Colorado. And they were like, sorry, that's going to take you three extra years when I only had like a year and a half left at K-State. And I was like, oh, this is dumb. I'm not going to wait for three years. So I went to cosmetology school. And, um, you know, through there, like, gosh, I had part child within there like I found out the day after the day before I started cosmetology school that I was pregnant with him oh my gosh that was a challenge but um you know through it I really learned so much about valuing who you are but then also helping others who are behind the chair or who are on your you know um esthetician table or if I'm doing um pedicures just how to really sit and be with them and teach them that this, like you're with their, them, you're present and you're giving them that love that they need or that care or teaching them how, or giving them affirmation of like, I'm so glad you're here kind of a thing. So I think that's where it first started out. And then I was asked to come back and be, and do instructor training. So then I was able to teach girls and I had such a great mentor of teaching girls just how to give themselves grace and, but yet how to build their self-esteem and, um, how to be able to be, um, successful within that business. Cause it, it can be a really hard business. And I did booth rent for a while. So I was able to come from that and teach girls and my nail techs and, um, everybody how to be able to run your business and be successful, but still be able to make some money at it, but also still have a life. For your family. So that was really cool. Um, and then, you know, when I was pregnant with boy four, I was like, holy buckets, I can't, I can't do this. And like, we couldn't find daycare for, you know, all four of them at the same place. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I got to stay home. And, and my boss was amazing. She was like, I'm so proud of you. Those babies are only going to be babies for so long. So we'll always be here if you want to come back. So that's kind of when, you know, my youngest was three. I was like, there's got to be a program I could finish my elementary ed online. So while, you know, teaching, maybe some people don't see it as 
that profession of, of caring or self-love. It really is because I'm teaching little people how to be kind and how to be caring and how to really um, enjoy each other and enjoy, I call it our classroom family. Like I said, you guys are, I'm your classroom mom. Like you're with me more than you are um, your parents. So really teaching a lot of those, those caring skills and teaching them, you know, what do you love to do? And that kind of thing. So I've kind of seen this pattern that God's kind of allowed me to be a part of. And then, um, you know, within that, when I was teaching, I decided I wanted to get a master's in um, special education because those were my kids. I just adored them. And um, I tended to specialize a lot more in the kids with autism because I could find a way to make that connection with them, but then also to get them connected to our classroom family and to not be so secluded and to not feel weird or, you know, separated, but still be able to connect with them. Um, And so that was really rewarding you know, and I did that. And then, um, I did try a stint at like doing, being a reading specialist and I just, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And, you know, I, I had to talk myself into the fact that it was okay to stop, to quit. Cause I'm generally <laughs> that way. Like once I start something, I finish it. And that's kind of when I was actually in counseling and I was talking to my counselor and I was like, you know, I really thought like maybe one day I would like to be a counselor. And he goes, Oh oh my goodness. I've been waiting for that to be a very organic conversation because I've been sitting here the whole time thinking you would be such a great counselor. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Well, okay, cool. So I started looking into programs and the coolest part is one of my college friends from um, K-State and Manhattan Christian college moved here to Cheyenne. And um, she actually lives across the street from the school. I ended up being hired to teach at again after I went virtual, but, um, I said, Candy, we need to go to college again together. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you, so I was her devotion leader when I was in college. So I was like her mentor. And then I was like, you have to go to college with me. So I kind of talked her into it and we ended up getting accepted into the program at Colorado Christian. And we didn't realize what a big deal it was um, until we were uh, at our residency, obviously via Zoom because it was during COVID. And they told us that, um, 450 applicants had applied for this program and only 200 of us got chosen. And we were like, whoa. Um, And so it was, it was crazy. And so I just, it just kind of led me there. And the more I was in the program, the more it confirmed like, yep, I'm supposed to be here. And of course, throughout that, I went through a whole bunch of craziness where, you know, I had three surgeries within a year. And that last one was my crazy back surgery that like nobody saw coming. I shouldn't be walking. Um, you know, yeah, you was- had a bunch of health issues all like back to back. Yes. All back to back. And I can tell you the lesson that came out of that was just perseverance and also grace and giving myself grace and learning to love myself, even when it was really, really hard. You know, I got, I, I was, when they found my back thing, um, they told me, holy buckets, you know, cause I herniated my thoracic spine, which nobody ever does, but I probably did it when I was cheering in college. My friend Candy was like, I remember that. I heard your back pop. I was like, you did not. You're being so dramatic. <laughs> and you know, when you're 20, like I was spotting a girl and she came down and landed on me. Uh, yeah. And, 
but it calcified and then it pushed 50% of my spinal cord and I couldn't feel my right leg. I had no back pain, but just all of a sudden I woke up one day and I couldn't feel my right leg and they couldn't figure out what's wrong. And that's I had terrifying. crazy. It was the craziest thing. I did physical therapy. I went to the chiropractor. I went to the acupuncturist. I mean, did all the things. And, um, it was finally when I said, you know, I can't feel my knee but I know it hurts. I know that's weird. So they ended up doing knee surgery and I torn my meniscus root off the bone and my knee, my, my knee surgeon had already taken care of my meniscus on that knee. And he was like, how did you not feel this? I'm like, I literally can't feel anything. So the back doctor came in, um, and he was like, I don't know what this is. You probably have MS. And I was like, what? Holy cow. No, I don't. And he was like, well, you probably do. Let's do the scans. Well, thank goodness we did because that's how they found it. And then he saw it and he felt really bad. Kind of, I kind of felt like I was like hypochondriac making this stuff up. <laughs> and then when he saw it, he was like, uh, okay, um, like I don't do that. So I'm going to refer you down to the big guys in Denver. Um, and so when I saw the neurosurgeon, he looked at me and he was like, I can't believe you're walking. Like, I can't, I was like, well, I have a farm. Like I have to, I have to do these things. And he was like, not anymore. So I pretty much was on like cut off. I couldn't ride my horse, which is my therapy. It's my self care and mm -hmm. lift more than 20 pounds. Well, our feed bags are 40 to 50 pounds, you know, and couldn't climb fences anymore to go feed animals. And it was just like, and how old are your boys now? Um, 23, 21, 20, and 18. So were they home to help at all during all of it? Um, the younger two were, um, and then my husband. And so they kind of just had to take over and it was super hard because that's what Preston and I did together every morning, mm -hmm. every night, he and I would go out and feed his barn and it was hard. It was really hard to let go. Really, really hard. And you know, unfortunately, like, you know, I'm you're when you're a mom, you just notice everything. I think just even as a woman, we're very observant about things happening. And so, you know, sadly, in the meantime, we lost some, uh, some of his goats, probably because they were sick and he just didn't notice. And, you know, um, I don't know, I would, I would at least go out and like love on my horses, but I'd cry and cry and cry and cry. So then when they told me that my surgery was going to be like out of everyone who needed back surgery, I'm 1% of the population that has to have their thoracic spine fixed. So I was like, literally a Grey's Anatomy case because they <laughs> and two other people to the residents at the University of um, Colorado. So all the doctor residents were like presented with my case of like how they would fix me. And, um, I was sitting there, like my eyes huge with the doctor and he was like, but you're doing really well. And I was like, Oh, thanks. I guess. <laughs> so when he, I decided to go ahead and get, get it fixed. He was like, you could wait if you wanted to. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to. And you know, like part of what he said was like, well, when you lose bowel and bladder function, you have to have it done right away. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do that when I'm old and I don't want to do it in four to fourth graders. So how about we fix that? Okay. So, and I did it in the summer, you know, where I knew I'd have more people around and it was the craziest surgery 
they had to go in through my rib cage, take out a rib and deflate my lung to be able to get to this. And it was supposed to be an eight hour surgery, but it was 12. And at hour 10, he was ready to close me up and hope I could walk again because I was losing function of my left leg on the table. And he got 90% of the calcification, took out the disc and used my rib as my fusion, which is the mm. great ever. So I was in ICU for two days with a chest tube and like, I don't ever want one of those again, but it was still, I think in that, as I, you know, and I was in three classes for my counseling program and I was, I was still taking them and I still did well. And I mean, I had so much support in that, but while I was sitting there in the hospital and, you know, they were getting me up to walk and I'd walker and all the things, it was amazing to sit back and be that person that I still was giving to all of those who were giving to me. It was amazing to sit back and be that person that I still was giving to all of those who were giving to me. And they really are in a very thankless position. And I couldn't thank my care team enough over and over, you know, and I, I always felt bad like ringing the call button for more water or whatever. And I would just thank them over and over and they would come in and they would talk with me. And I was like, I'm just, I'm so thankful for all of you. And, you know, I, I think that's just part of who I am is that noticing like those people who are pouring into others and then I want to pour back into them. So, I mean, it was a really, um, it was a really scary time, but it was also a really incredible time for me to really see that point of view from others and then also to accept help from other people because I'm not so good about doing that I'm one that you're them. forced into that position <laughs> I really was I really really wasn't I can't even believe I started teaching fourth grade like less than a month out <laughs> with the walker I mean we and I'm in a modular building so they luckily gave me the one with the ramp but also really cool thing of what God did is my two teaching partners, one of them, um, we've been friends since we were five in elementary school together. She actually came and picked me up from the hospital because they kicked me out. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to go home tomorrow. And they're like, but you're doing really well today. And I was like, yeah, but I want to go home tomorrow. And they're like, well, I said, my husband can't get me because he was up here. I just sent him home. I was like, I have 24 hour care. You're fine. Go home. Check on the boys. Our oldest came down from ranching and helped our youngest take care of the farm and all the things. And that has a whole funny story within itself. um, And so I said, well, he can't come and get me until tomorrow. And they're like, well, we've arranged a lift to drive you home. And I was like, a lift to my home, to my farm in Wyoming from Denver. They were like, yeah. And I thought there's this weird person driving me home and I have a walk and they, I didn't have a walker to take home with me. So they were getting like help me get in the car and I was like no so I called my teaching partner Amy and I was like can you come and get me and she was like I'll be right there so she she like raced down and it it was it was really great in that because we had a great memory and she of course is a mom so she had like a million pillows in the back seat and this nice fluffy blanket on the on the chair and she had her father-in-law's um handicap placard so she could just park really close and 
you know, like when we had to get out and stop and I had to take my pain meds, we had to stop and um, like an hour out. And then she had to come around, you know, like we had to link arms, like little old ladies. And we were laughing because she goes, remember when we used to play this on the playground? I was kind of hoping we wouldn't have to do this till we were actually old. And so you know, we laughed about that and like those things. And then I got to teach next to her. So anytime we had to go somewhere, she'd open the door and say, come on, granny, let's go. You know, we <laughs> So, you know, and then my other teaching partner is my cousin's wife and she just lives a mile away from me. So she picked me up in the morning because I couldn't drive and she'd take me to school and it was just, that part was hard, but it also felt so good to know that I had so many people who loved me. And I think one of the most precious things was that um, our, when our oldest came home and at the time of Mrs. Wyoming, he was, yeah, he was still in high school and mm -hmm. I like him at all <laughs> he was a punk and he was mouthy and I just we just butted heads a lot so then when life happened and he left you know graduated and left and went out into the real world he kind of had an eye-opening like oh it wasn't so bad at home and we became really close and now we're like besties it's just precious so he came home and when I got home um Paul was still at summer school and he just like walked me to the bed and he got like all my pain meds settled on the side table and got me water and was like, do you need anything else, mom? And then his boss that he ranches for, um, when he called him, he was like, how's your mom doing? And he's like, oh, you know, she's doing better. And he goes, you're going to stay longer. No, you got to stay there and help my mom. And it was just, it was so precious for him to have that. And for him to pour into me, like I would have him, you know, and mm -hmm. he was he was little I was always you know rubbing their heads and those kinds of things and you know those are still things that he will turn to like using essential oils when he has a headache or he'll call me and be like mom what can I take for this and you know that he got to care for me was really sweet and kind um, of seeing those roles flipped and seeing how what you poured into him was getting poured back into you <laughs> yes and I was just like oh <laughs> oh <laughs> grown up and he's taking care of his mom and you know like those kinds of things it was just it was really sweet to see and our our second son was living in Laramie at the time so whenever he would come home he would you know zip in and take care of his mama and you know our third son was in high school and you know he was still working and our youngest was in earlier high school years and he would take care of me and check on me and stuff but you know it was just interesting to watch those boys rise up and like take care of their mom instead of their mom taking care of them um and, and it was a great it was a great experience for our whole family even though it was really hard and I think it was really it was hardest on my husband because you know he was doing all the things and then going out and he was having to take care of the horses and you know that was kind of his gig and you know um like handle more things around the house so it was kind of a really it was shocking to the whole family but we all kind of chipped in and rose together and people would come over and bring us meals, which was so nice. And, you know, just that community of people that saw that this wasn't your every ordinary day back surgery kind of a thing. It was a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. It was for our community to kind of join in and take care of my kids or, you know, take care of my husband or, you know, those kinds of things or come over and visit me and, you know, bring me lunch or whatever. Cause they knew I couldn't drive and just visit with me. And so that part was, 
it was great. And so it's kind of also given me that that trauma perspective of like what medical trauma is. And I didn't realize until I was doing EMDR training how much medical trauma I had, but this one was the cake. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I was able to process about it. And now I'm like, I feel like I could really help people who have medical trauma. Um, and Absolutely. Been I've been there. I have plenty. I know. And so I, I can say that since I've been able to process through that, it has, it, it's like, it's like a rabbit hole. Once you start on one memory, I didn't realize how connected all of my, even just tiny little surgeries, how traumatic they were. And, um, you know, there's a book that's, it's, it's an old classic called the body keeps a score. And a lot of people have heard mm-hmm. about it in the field, but it's so true. And when I was able to process with EMDR through all of that, I noticed how my physical connection and my mental connection disconnected. So, you know, when you process through that, any, any trauma, your body and your brain will connect and you will generally have a certain feeling within your body of wherever that trauma has settled. It's not always in our brain. And like, for me, when I, thought about my back surgery, I would instantly feel my chest tube. Mm. Almost like this phantom pain kind of feeling Mm -hmm. where, well, I can, I know I had it now. I don't have that instant, like it's still connected to me. And I have this huge long tube and like, it was just, was yucky. I didn't like it at all, but you know, then, you know, it would slowly connect to all sorts of other things. And I didn't realize, but now it's amazing to me how free and how much more I can breathe. And, you know, anytime we hold a trauma, it's always connected within our, within our somatic feelings, but then also our um, mental feelings and our just even within our brain. And so it, once you're able to open that and disconnect, then your whole brain just kind of opens up. And I can say like, my anxiety has come down and my depression has come down and, um, you know, just those kinds of things. It's been eye opening and like amazing that I would be able to help somebody through that too. So it's, it's hard. Especially when you have such an intimate knowledge of it now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, um, it was hard, hard work and, and it wasn't easy, but it was great. I mean, it was, it was great now that I'm on this side. When I was doing it, you know, I'm telling my friend that I worked with because we worked with each other. We were all counselors or counselor students. And I would tell her, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> And, you know, she's like, you've got this, you've got this. It's okay. It's okay. And, um, you know, and, and that was good too, because I, I really saw the real part of it. Like I'm going to be presented with people who just aren't ready or don't want to continue through because they're scared or it hurts too much. And, um, and I have experienced a few, especially teenagers that are just, it's hard. It's, and it's scary and it's the unknown. And so building that trust with them is what's so important. And if you don't have a therapist you trust, then you actually cannot heal from any of that trauma. So that's the part that, um, really taught me like 
how to have people trust me and to be open and I'm pretty much as real as they come like there's Mm -hmm. what there now is exactly what you would see in session um obviously I wouldn't be talking so much because I'm listening to them but (laughs) like just just in in and not always connecting what I have been through but sometimes we do need to divulge that um but I've walked such a human connection part of things and I've walked such a crazy traumatic path that I didn't realize um how traumatic it was going to be but um now that I'm on that side and I'm able to help others like I can just see even even with my littles at school you know even with those I'm teaching with I'm God has opened my eyes to those who are really struggling and I'm able to touch them in some ways to be able to help them process, or I'm just that person that they come to and they just need to, they just need to share. And I don't offer that. And that was kind of what led me into this, this field that I'm in now is because I, I must be just that trusting person that people feel like they can come and share things with me and that I'll listen. I'm not just there to give them all the time. You know, that I'm able to hear who they are and acknowledge who they are and acknowledge where they're at and and try to encourage them or just sit with them in their pain. And so it's been a really big blessing to be in this in this path that I'm on now. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I think it just goes to show like I know this is like said over and over again. And when you're in the middle of something, it's like, yeah, whatever. But like those hardships that we go through can go on to bless us and others as long as we're open to letting it and also the empathy and love that you pour into other people all the time like with what you do who you are etc was definitely poured back into you when you needed it the most too so yeah and and definitely like finishing out this last end of (laughs) of my of my counseling like you know, I was going to be short on hours and I was already at one site and I had to add another site and, and it was hard on my family. I mean, at that point we just, it was my husband and my youngest, but it was so hard for them because I would teach school all day. And then I would quick race to one of, or sometimes both of the sites, see clients and I wouldn't get home till maybe eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. And then I would have homework, you know, and those kinds of things. It was a really, really rough road. Um, but they knew it was short term and I knew it was short term, which is why I kept going with it. Where now that I have my provisional license, I have already said, I'm not going to be doing that. Like I agrees <laughs> and my site that I'm at now, which was my second site. Um, my supervisor is, um, she was our school psychologist. So I worked with her and now she's in private practice. And so she gets it and she understands, um, she totally understands where I'm coming from, but she's also really good because she knows me so well at saying, slow your roll. And her name is also Tammy. So we love <laughs> thing. Um, there's actually three Tammies at our site. And like the big joke going around there is like, it's a Tammy thing. And like, don't mess with the Tammy if she's, un- if she's unhappy or like, um, we don't want an unhappy Tammy because an unhappy Tammy is not a nice Tammy, you know, to be around. <laughs> And we laugh about it. Like, it's just this big, funny thing, you know, and, um, but it, 
it's kind of true. It's interesting how similar our personalities are with our names. So like that whole thing we just love and surround, but we're also really good at telling each other, like take a breath or, you know, cause we can hear it from each other because it's just who we are. But I love that they're like, slow your roll. You don't have to jump in here. We want you to like, not be crazy and like upset and stressed out. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, just what you need. It's, it's good for you to be able to put like boundaries out there, but it's even better when you have people around you who understand those boundaries too. (laughs) And that I've said them and that I'm like, okay, I, you know, like I had to add Wednesdays. I wasn't going to do Wednesdays, but I have one client that absolutely cannot come any other day. And I was like, darn, okay, that's it. I'm not having any more, you know, and they know, and they're like, good for you. Okay. That's great. I was like, I'll come right after I have staff meeting, (laughs) you know, I'll zip over here and I'll see this kiddo who I love to death. But I was like, all right, can't move him. Can't move him. So it was great to hear everybody just say, yeah, well, thank you. Like, I know it's hard teaching fourth grade all day long and then you zip over, but I love, I love being in session with clients and just sitting with them and just hearing them there's just something therapeutic about it for me and calming it's different I love my fourth graders and I love teaching them and they just bring me so much joy and I laugh all day long with them um but this is and I laugh with these clients too but I just love sitting and being with them and just hearing their story I mean I'm a huge narrative therapy person because I just everybody wants to tell their story and, and especially with teenagers, they, they don't think their story is worth hearing. And so helping them or others who have been in traumatic situations where they just don't think there's anything that they could possibly tell anybody that would be worth anything. So that's where I love building people up and like really being interested and sitting and being curious about them and wanting to know what's your passion in life? Like, what do you love? you know, oh, what? Okay. So if you love that, let's do it. Like what's holding you back? That kind of a thing and giving them hope. That part has been really, really amazing to just sit and be and hear them and encourage them and cheer for them and tell them how proud I am of them. And they did really hard work and, you know, those kinds of things. Cause I don't feel like in a clinical counseling setting that happens very often. I don't, I mean, and I've been through counseling a lot and I can't tell you, I think only one counselor out of the, oh, I don't know, five I've been to in the, over the 25 plus years I've been going to counseling, only one has said to me, I am so proud of you. You did such hard work. That was so hard. And I'm so proud of how hard you worked through that. And I was mm-hmm. like, first time she said it, I was like, <laughs> Why are you telling me thank you for bawling my eyes out, you know, and like ugly crying, ugly crying through this. And she was like, you are doing such great work. And I thought, she's crazy. I'm not doing great work. I'm sitting here doing this. Like, what is she talking about? But then the more I would come to her every week and the more it would just like, I could feel it like lifting and and, and I love that she validated like, yeah, this was hard work. This was hard to get through. And I, you know, there were times I just, I didn't, sometimes I didn't cry. Sometimes I was just numb. And she was like, that's okay. It's okay to be numb. 
we'll get there. It's okay. You're, we're just working through this. And I was like, this is interesting. I've never been. And so I feel like because that was modeled to me and it was so powerful, now I get to model it back. And I, I just, I love that. I just, yeah. I love well, and I love how you said that, like, you know, sometimes we don't feel like our stories are important enough to, you know, be said or be heard. And I, I mean, that's definitely why I started this podcast, because I believe that everybody has a story to share and that we can learn more about them through that story and also learn more about ourselves through their stories and their experiences too. So I definitely love that. And I love that you're taking, you know, this entirety of your experience and all of these different experiences and areas of expertise that you have and really turning it into that passion. Um, and I definitely feel like that passion has followed you through all of those different things. So that's amazing. So I guess I always like to like kind of end things with just what is like one or two of your biggest tips for other women like you out there to kind of find themselves, find that passion and find the confidence in who they are. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I was reading this. I have this really great book that I'm reading. It's called fighting words. Um, we love books. Yes. Yes. By Ellie Holcomb. She's a Christian music um, artist, but she started to write 100 days of speaking truth into the darkness. And, um, you know, I feel like right now, we are in kind of this stuck darkness of where we're at just culturally. Um, and, and even within now that we're kind of out of some of the COVID stuff, I mean, Wyoming, it's not nearly, we didn't, we didn't have nearly as bad of, of some of the things that other States did and even in our schools, but it still feels really dark and exhausting and people are just spent and so um, I was reading one of her um, one of her quotes the other day, and I I chimed in and um, sent it actually to our our message group and in, in my counseling field. But um, she she started to say, let me find it her. The, the scripture she used was John eight twelve, which is I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life and she relates to a story about where she went to visit um, her friend and um, they were having like power outages and stuff and so they grabbed a flashlight and she told her kids her friend told her kids um, if y'all are in a dark room and you turn on a flashlight what are you going to see and they both piped in the light and she said that's right don't you ever forget that the light is always stronger than the darkness. And um, she wrote a song actually based on that while she was with her friend. And the song, um, it says, the light is strong, nothing can keep it from shining. Even here, here in the darkness night, darkest night, no matter what, nothing can keep it from shining. No matter how scared we are, the light's always stronger. The light's always stronger than the dark. And so it hit me that I was like, we all have that ability to be the light in the darkness, but we have to just know and trust and believe that we are the light. 
that the light is within us and we can be the light for, and, and what seems to us like not a big deal, it could be someone's actual light to help them out of the darkness um, and to walk with them. And sometimes it's just, they just need you beside them. They don't need you to say anything. They don't need you to do anything. They just need you to be there. Um, and I'm a huge Brene Brown fan and you know, she, she, I love her, um, YouTube video of the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I don't necessarily know that a lot of us know how to be empathetic. We've been taught sympathy, but empathy is a taught thing. And so if you didn't come from a home that modeled empathy, I did not, I did not have a home where I came from where, well, my parents love me, like anything I would go through, it was more sympathy, like, huh, that's too bad <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> You're feeling that way. You might be being dramatic right now, right? And so where that empathy is, you just climb down into that hole with that person and you're just there to say, mm -hmm. hey, here. And if you're interested in interpersonal neurobiology, it is amazing. Um, there is a really cool podcast by Kirk Thompson. He is, he talks a lot about like spiritual formation and interpersonal neurobiology, how we take our neurobiology and connect it with being with each other and how it, it's called the being known is what the name of the podcast is. So powerful. Even if you're not a believer, like for anybody to just hear how that's just who we are. We are created to be with each other and to have a support system mm -hmm. around us. Like we were not made to just be a hermit and, and the power of that. And then just learning all about our trauma and what we can do and how to work through some of that and how it doesn't have to be our story. Um, and how we are able to connect our mind and our just spiritual awareness and to help heal some of that. It's so amazing. He's got three books that are one of them we had to read in college for our trauma class. And it's called um, the soul of shame. We were, all, we were all bawling our eyes out, but such a good book of, and, and even if, again, if they're, you know, if people, listeners aren't into any sort of Christian belief, but they might be just learning about how much shame we are around and raised with. I didn't realize how much shame I grew up in. I had zero idea. And then how much it has affected me now and learning to free myself from that. That's why I love Brene Brown stuff too. And so then he's got one, his first one is the anatomy of the soul, just talking about our souls. What are our souls like? What do they strive for? And then the last one, the next one he just wrote was um, the soul of desire. And it's just talking about all the things we desire, beauty, we desire to be around those who love us. We desire like all the things that just as a human, we love and we desire, but we don't always get it because we think we're not worthy enough to get it. It's really, it's amazing. But he does the podcast with um, Pepper um, Pepper Sweeney. He's an actor. And mm -hmm. gosh, those two are, they're so beautiful and passionate, but they are so funny together at the same time too. Like you can just tell they, 
have so much joy, even though, though they're across the country from each other doing these together. And there's also YouTube. You can watch them on YouTube. It's mm. just, it is so refreshing and delightful to just hear them talk about how we just have this desire to be with each other mm. and have that support and know it's okay to have somebody cheering you on or sitting with you in your tears or your hurt or your and it's just it's so cool right and so I feel like those are those are two things that have really struck me well that one like the other day I was like holy oh I love that I have that visual I just if we could all just find our light and know that we have that light within us and be able to pass that on to help others through the darkness even when you don't think they're in the darkness just being there and being present might just be the light that they need so that's wonderful that's great thank you so much tammy i appreciate you welcome i'm so glad you reached out to me of course thanks so much if you love this episode please let us know by submitting a review or sharing with the women in your life we'll see you next time